Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode was about the data dark ages. And by that, I don't mean the old dark ages. I mean the coming dark ages where we're watching Reddit and Twitter and other companies take what used to be publicly available information and put it behind a paywall or a gate. And because of the way large language models are using this data and the value of the data, we are expecting to see that trend accelerate. And it will have profound implications for how we think of data and sharing data and using data uh, in the coming years. And that is what the topic today really delve into in some fascinating and unexpected ways. I am sure you will enjoy the conversation. Boy, I love the title that I that I came with it. It's uh, the data dark age. <laughs> um, it's it is this change that the platforms that had been open are making to make their data not open, like Twitter. Uh, yes, doing their right, you know, API limitation even for current users, unless you're monet- yeah. even even if you're monetized, they're limited at. And um, and Reddit, you know, the, the original inspiration was the Reddit changes to their API um, to prevent people from from you know ostensibly AI companies from from trolling the Reddit comments and posts. Um, is this a trend? Is this the yeah. new the new the new normal? Uh, it's not a trend. It's been going on for years. Okay. Uh, it's it's why we don't have alternate interfaces for services like Netflix. There's a whole class mm. of, of companies out there that lock their data down through not exposing it via API. Um, it, th- think about the innovation model that Netflix could have if they if they exposed an API and let third parties create their own user experience. So then you're you're sailing a thousand ships and seeing and and the best ones um, uh, win, and as a consequence, you see a total lack of innovation when it comes to like streaming services. That's just the one that that. Uh, but I mean, Netflix, the content is like is created; it's curated content regardless. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I. They have actually less to lose from providing an alternate UX, except maybe I guess they they lose the what you clicked on um, component for it. So, and so they there's some data the gathering. Oh, people would use it to bypass because I just heard a report talking about Netflix expecting ad revenue to be a significant part of their upcoming revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And now that they have the tiered membership for ad service, uh, now that they have the tiered model, they haven't signed up that many people for it. But over time, right. people will get there because what you get on net, don't forget also, and, and this is an interesting uh, paradigm. The reason that I say it's a trend is I agree with you, Tyler. It's been going on for years, but all of a sudden, because of the suits that are being filed against open AI and, and other sort of LLM yeah, yeah. makers, 
um, it's suddenly gone poof, you know, yeah. um, and it's skyrocketing. Yeah, so, no question. No question. We're at an we just passed an inflection point. Yeah. Yeah. That inflection point, I think, is going to continue to rise in different ways because uh, not to get off topic, but just as an aside, I just finished reading an article about using ChatGPT to reverse engineer Reddit. What? To reverse engineer Reddit? Yeah, you can reverse engineer the original source code of Reddit. I'll send you a link. Huh. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, send, I'll, I'll include it in the video. notes. Um, yeah, because I think like, uh, I'm like, why would you want to do that? Uh, uh, the Reddit model is fantastic, but the interface is garbage. <laughs> maybe maybe we could write new code I, I, that I, would have I the have same family, features. I have family members who love who love Reddit. I have never it, it has never. Um, I've never had the appeal to it. I guess Slashdot was the same thing. I never, I never got as excited by the Slashdot um, phenomena. But, well, uh, so my thought on that, Joanne, and this actually builds on what you just said, which mm-hmm. is, I think what's we we had these kind of the open platforms and closed platforms, and Reddit and social had historically been open. Uh, and the reason why is because the network externalities or the network effects of in social are more valuable than the monetization of the data that 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 the platform delivers. So now with AI, it changes the relative value of the data such that a new business model becomes more attractive to the to the CEOs and and to the uh, the leaders of these these companies, you know, Elon Musk, Reddit, etc. Yeah. Uh, so that that's kind of one, and that's my opinion as to what's what's that inflection point is is that is AI is almost like data price inflation. Right, right. A big step change in the perceived value of data. But I, let me. But here's a weird. There's there's two there's two weird phenomena on this. Right. If you're trying to train the models and you I need a whole it. bunch of human, you got to go. No, I, no, I, I said hi. Oh, you're just saying hi. Hi, Dana. Um, Sorry, I was trying, you know, Blah blah blah. Anyway, hi. Hi. Glad you're here. Um, if you're trying to train the models. You know, having more and more human speech to do that training is not um, is not actually the. Um, I mean, there's diminishing returns. We know this on model training. There's diminishing returns. So in some ways, they have enough to do decent human speech. Now it's about expertise and actually having things in the system, right? Which is all secondary models, or you know, it's building a sandwich around the models. See, see the problem. Could they be? Could they be, well, could they be putting trying to close the barn doors after the after it's already left the barn? Well, yeah. sure, because the, yeah. Sorry, the bigger market is in small language models. Right. That's where the real money is going to be made, and all these you know get rich quick schemes that are out on the net now about you know use whichever lambda whatever bard what whatever choose, choose your L- llm or chat gtp right. and watch it get 
less and less consistent results is one thing, but, you know, how to engineer the prompt to get everything you want in like two seconds flat and, you know, everyone to everything to every situation kind of answer. Um, the LLMs, the small language models really will be geared, not only geared to industry, but sub-segments of industries and down to the point of personalization. Right. So, so um, Joanne, let me let me ask you a follow up to this. I want your opinion. Yes. Uh, so when you say small language models, do you yeah. mean a foundational model plus a, a personal or unique data set combined into that? Uh, you know what I'm saying? There's a different there's a, di you know, a big yes. difference. Yeah, there is a big difference. But there are also ways to create, I don't disagree with you, Tyler, that it's kind of one and the other, but there's also now new tooling coming out that allows you to create a small language model as a derivative, not in conjunction with the large language model. So you can, you can create the foundation using tool, tool sets, and then take a wow. set of data, dump them in, and allow it to generate a small language model. So think about this for a business idea. If you took all the EDI that's out there in the world, which is we know by definition, by segment, by, by industry, by segment, by task or function, transaction even, um, and you started to use those in conjunction with the tools, you could literally reinvent EDI in a generative a small language model and Bob's your uncle, you could really take, yeah. no, you could really do a lot with it because yeah. now you're taking out a lot of the um, flavors of B2B that are out there, whether they're in terms of the original DTDs that they evolved from or how the capabilities are. But think about Venmo and all the payment platforms that are out there that could literally be taken over. So on the, on, if I take this back to your comment about Netflix, content distribution, what I get versus what you get on Netflix is completely different. I get I have a percentage of it that is required by law to be Canadian content. I have the same sure. commercial that can play 62 times in the same episode, even though I shouldn't have any commercials playing. Uh, same thing with Prime. And the release dates are different. The licensing models are different. So this new lockdown your data, so you can't produce a UI or UX to sort of compete with yourself, is one that I think is going to become a new kind of paywall. Think about yeah, paid APIs. Uh, like, like tweet deck, right? Yeah. Behind the paywall, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a very good link, Diana. I love it. You know, the first thing that popped in my head and I looked at that and I'm thinking about what we do with the PrevOps matrix and the whole idea of data segmentation by user and role and permitted access. It's like, oh, great. Well, we can make sure that Google doesn't get access to our enterprise data. That's great. So you're saying people within my organization, how am I going to keep sales reps from stealing 
leads from other sales teams. You can't. You can't. It's no. the same. It's the same freaking model that we've had forever in the analytics space. There's nothing different in that we still have this ivory, ivory tower mentality that these these big corporate product managers have, which is that you know you hire a you build a COE, your customer builds a COE with data scientists and data analysts, and everything funnels to them, and they're privileged because they can see all of the data, but we're not going to actually expose any of that to anybody else outside the organization because we don't have any way to control that from a granular perspective. Think about a shared network drive. Right? 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 All Microsoft tools are now going to have this wonderful AI capability, and we all put our departmental stuff on one drive, and... How are we not, how are we going to prevent, hey, that was my idea that you just stole off of that shared drive that you've now repurposed through a generative tool and called your own? How are we going to manage that? That are, that, are you thinking internally or from internally, Microsoft? Yeah. Okay. Think about, well, both oh. actually. I'm thinking about it in multiple dimensions. Internally, the, the, the change control, oh. how you do that you can't how are yeah, you going to so what is this is this is actually part of where i was thinking with the dark the day of the dark ages yeah it's totally right. what you're totally. what you're describing is let, wait hold on let me let me frame this you're saying that within a corporation if somebody just like oh here are my notes i'm writing things up and i'm storing them where i'm supposed to be in the corporate drive which is henceforth been my corporate drive or the slack. ai is going to is the or slack Slack is actually designed to do this. The mm-hmm. it, it it's going to be scraped, incorporated into a small language model, my personal yep. one, behind my firewall. And even that, my ideas are going to be absorbed into the corporate consciousness and regurgitated and potentially land on other people's desks. Which exactly. from one as as the corporation, I actually might want the, those best ideas to be distributed and not locked in. In, in all these little silos. I actually am advocating for that from a DevOps perspective, like from a DevOps automation perspective, you end up with these horrible places where everybody's writing the same stuff. And I would love to have an AI model that says, hey, by the way, somebody else, you know, we, the corporate standard for this looks like this. Would you like to use it? That would be amazing. Um, well, look, well, let's look at what happened. That'd be amazing. Sales. Think, wait, wait, where's the downside? <laughs> Wait, well, and then, at, and then what happens with sales, right? I mean, how many times <laughs> has some sales VP been sued by their former employer because they took a bunch of customer lists and contact information with them? Okay. And you know how you do that? I mean, so we we use DL, DLP to try to mitigate that, but this, sure. I mean, this this pro, this is that problem on steroids. Steroids. Yeah, because now it gets. I'll give you a better one. Go ahead. Sorry, Um, it's okay. So on one level, it's the personal attribution, but think about how people get promoted. Hmm. Right, because you do you you have phenomenal ideas, or you have innovative ideas, or whatever that somehow gets monetized. Well. I'm all for knowledge management and the corporation being the, the center of the universe and everybody's ideas are equal, but they're not. 
So this causes a culture problem. It also causes a huge problem in litigation because you're going to have employees suing each other. (laughs) You live as litigious society in the world. Thirdly, what's not going to Microsoft? Well, how are they black boxing? No leakage. Well, the the lack of attribution in these models is is at present, if not a fatal flaw, is a very, very serious uh, limitation in in what like I I think you're right. We're we're too early yet for this us to have bounced through the your model includes and the small ones are going to be even more problematic if, if you ingest sensitive information into a small model um you know or or information you don't own it's um, it's going to drive data hoarding yeah yes. absolutely that's, yeah. that's the that's the dark age piece that i've been thinking i agree with you it, are, we're, it is dry. i mean Di- we already see Diane it. was going to say something i we're, oh, yeah go yeah ahead. let's let's Sorry. go no, 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 no. This is great. I mean, obviously we've hit a topic that's exciting because we all want to jump in. But um, I think, you know, one thing that's really fascinating to me about this whole conversation and the way that companies need to start dealing with uh, knowledge and their employees and stuff, you know, as a, as a company, I would make the case when you and Tyler knows this better than anybody because he has patents that, you know, are his, but his company probably owns. Right. So, Yeah. Right. So that's my work product, right? I'm paying you. That's my work product, you know, deal done. But to your point, and I haven't heard a lot about um, VPs of sales being sued, which that probably happens, although I've, I've lived in that world a lot. So it's it's interesting. I've never heard that, but I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But it's part of what you bring when you go to a new company is you bring your Rolodex, right? And if companies aren't able to keep their tribal knowledge internally, then, you know, maybe that's how you balance the scales on this kind of thing. But I do agree about the data hoarding thing because I was just, and we have a Steve Jobs problem, like to Joanne's point. Yeah, you had a great idea, but if you didn't know what to do with it, you know, like Steve Jobs didn't come up with a lot of his core technology. He, yeah, I have some stories, but um, <laughs> but he marketed yeah. daylights out of him and he knew what to do with that information. So um, it's it's tricky, especially when people start to over inflate the uh, the value of an idea as opposed to the value of the execution and marketing of an idea. And that there is what Thank you. <laughs> well, the other and and so so please please answer this question, Tyler. Rob, Diana, yeah. how the hell do you prevent Microsoft itself from from two things? One, imagine the world in a year from now where all of the tools are, Im, you know, imbued and embedded with AI and, and cultures are becoming inculcated to the use of AI from a patch Tuesday. What the hell are you going to do if there's drift or some Mm -hmm. issue with the modeling to all the corporate data around the world? That is a you don't trust Microsoft. What? What? Even (laughs) though I wrote the code for Alt Four, no, I do not, and I never have. However, it's it's not only about the patches and the fixes, but what is actually being gleaned, scraped, fed. 
to teach those models that they're putting out into the world in every desktop that there is that is not going back to Microsoft. Well, judging you have by, to be online to use this. Judging by the innovation we've seen on LinkedIn over the last six years, I'm thinking that Microsoft is going to entirely miss that opportunity because <laughs> of their arrogance being the industry leader. I think you're right, though, but it's not going. It's going to be somebody disrupt. So think about the Jeff Bezos napkin business model. And the way yeah. that you use data to disrupt everybody from Toys R Us to UPS. UPS doesn't even know how badly they're being disrupted right now. I, I had a conversation with a former VP of cybersecurity at UPS, and he told me that when he left the company, 13% of UPS's volume was from Amazon. And I'm like, mm -hmm. don't... The, the fact that they have all of that data from that doesn't worry you. And then now, you know, it's it, it, AI is going to make that that next that next disruptive wave that we saw with Amazon. And I don't know what that's going to be. I'm not saying but you can you guys can can think about that. And 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 maybe we can come up this with some sort of of opinion on that. But somebody is going to come up with a way to use the big people's data against them. Uh -huh. yeah. um, and I don't know how that's that's going not to where look. I thought you were going. That's fascinating. The big people's data. So you're saying you UPS could actually analyze the 13 percent of deliveries that they have and. Use, and, and then use that to actually anticipate Amazon's moves? Which, they, could that take that, they could use AI to analyze that data and to come up with methods that would help Amazon competitors disrupt Amazon. Hmm. So like, about, like how the cloud made it so that people could have enterprise-grade infrastructure without having to buy the infrastructure. You're, exactly. contending, you're contending that AI could provide analytics that would uh, get people to have um, enterprise-grade decision-making or better. Yes. Okay. With, with, if yeah, they have access, right, if they right have access they to it, but, but we're literally watching all the drawbridges and windows close and the shutters get... I mean, we people are literally... At the moment, turning around and saying, wait a second, I've been way too liberal with inf with information that I thought had a network effect. And we're we are literally pulling back and being like, we're sharing. We want to share less and less information. Well, that's um, that's a, that's a knee jerk reaction. We'll see that trend to continue. Right. I think we all good. agree that. But yeah. there are limitations as to how much you can close that drawbridge. No. It's not, Tyler, I disagree with you on that. There's no limit on to how much you can close it. The limitation will be what the market will pay for. What do you or, mean? Because well, I, I everybody and his brother's uncle is going to start monetizing their APIs in mm -hmm. ways that they never have before because they realize that that's really where the money is going to be 
if they are going to shutter the data. They'll I think, you're, I think you're right. And I don't think you disagree with me because I'm talking about something different. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so much fun, right? What I mean is, so the UPS Amazon <laughs> model, right? Amazon can't shut off the flow of logistical and customer information to UPS because it's transactional data. They have yeah. to they have to maintain that to do business. It's not API data. It's 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 systems that contain information about Amazon customers and transactions that UPS have that are required for UPS and Amazon to do business together. And there's lots of examples of that, right? Could could it get as bad that Amazon decides to send false ship fake ship real packages that are not necessary to create false signals like to disrupt that? I mean, well, it's not that they're shutting it down. They're just hiring their own fleets. Like I, I haven't right. got they're building their own fleets. Yes, they're using USPS. They're diversifying their distribution network. Yeah, you, you so see, they're leaving. They're, they're starting... leaving all the all the high all the high fruit, if you will. Yeah. It, it, it's that a, part it's... of the analogy to these other providers, right? The unprofitable stuff is going to the people, and and Amazon's keeping the the cream. Um, well, yeah, I noticed. I noticed that I rarely see the UPS truck in Alpharetta, suburban, high, wealthy middle class Atlanta. But then, when I go two hours north to our cabin in Silva, North Carolina, where the the county is the same size as Fulton, but only has sixty five thousand residents as opposed to the over a million residents in Fulton County, and there's no Amazon Prime trucks to be found anywhere. It's all UPS. So what they're doing is, as usual, Amazon is doing their disruption in an optimized manner, which is by leveraging the distance from their distribution centers, which are obviously located in high density uh, uh, population centers. Uh, but eventually, the, I mean, they're just going to expand that frontier gradually. And just chip away at UPS until UPS is like the rural carrier logistics specialist for that's what that's what happened with DHL. And it it's a it's a very hard business to maintain if you're only carrying the uh hard to profit from loads. Mm -hmm. But they don't even get it right. They could be doing what we said and figuring out how to mine that data and use that as a weapon to fight back. But they could actually generate a new revenue source by providing these data services to online retailers. And that would also create customer affinity for the UPS supply and log logistics network. But and, and Diana, you and I were talking about that earlier this week is that the, the conversation last week about the CIO role going away is that it's going to go away, but it's going it's not going to be within organizations getting rid of CIOs. It's going to be it's going to go away because next generation competitors are going to displace the current companies that have CIOs with more of a platform lean agile in our DNA type of way of do doing business. So riddle me this. 
We talk a lot about uh, data being a commodity and, you know, creating new streams of revenue and the organizations that we see that actually do that, like Netflix, like Amazon, like uh, Google, for instance, are behemoths and just print money. But I don't actually see a lot of the, the, the bulk of organizations don't even take the first step at really understanding their data. What, what's going to change about that? Um, because there's been data sitting around since the 1800s that banks could have been monetizing. You know, they didn't have access to it from a technology, from you know, modern technology perspective. But I think it's always a possibility. And the people that really do understand how to do it, which to your point, Tyler, with PrivOps, I mean, if you could get somebody to just listen for one second about one little inkling of how they could just dominate some, some piece of their marketplace, it's important that nobody else is doing the data. Like, why? Okay, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a data point to support your statement, Diana. Okay. So Walt Carter, CIO at Homestar, um, you know, the customer that basically funded our development of the platform. Uh, a So Walt brought in a professional services partner that he'd worked with at mortgage banks in the past. And the pitch to the CEO was, Hey, we're going to come in and we're going to look at your operations and your data around your operations. And we're going to figure out how relatively quickly to cut your total operational cost by 30% off the top. And what did the CEO say? Nah. But that's that, that is in my. Tell, you guys talk to tons and tons of organizations and leaders, right? Tell me that I'm wrong, that that is not the rule rather than the exception. I just don't get, I really don't get it. Data has only been well used by some organizations for marketing purposes. And, and that's, but beyond that, I, I'm at a loss. I mean, there's so much. All you have to do is spend about two hours researching Jeff Bezos and the rise of Amazon to realize how Amazon used data to disrupt industry after industry. And and I'm, I'm at a loss because this doesn't seem like that hard to figure out to me. But I because Tyler. Okay, so flip flip it is. It is the in manufacturing. If you walked into a manufacturing CEO and said, I can cut your operating costs by 30%, you'd be in like Flint because that's an industry where margins are so slim and cost is such a huge factor that if you can reduce through efficiency, whether it's you know, automation efficiency, machine efficiency, human efficiency, that you can shave quarter of a cent, half a cent, a cent off of the production, you'd make millions because that's what they're after. It's the other side of the world that is now, and I've seen this pendulum shift, thank God, in the last year um, towards value. It's how do you leverage data and and create the model that takes the data and creates more value? And if it's not value driven and only cost and operationally or operational cost driven, you don't get as far outside of manufacturing. 
supply chain, insurance, healthcare, all of the uh, other big industries that you can think of. If you go on value, you get feet in the door faster because they're about selling a different kind of experience. In manufacturing, they're about making this thing, you know, a quarter of a cent cheaper so they can sell it, you know, below their competitor's best price. Um, now that pendulum is also starting to shift where data is ruling Caterpillar, John Deere, Stanley, all the big manufacturers in automotive and in consumer goods are looking for ways to sell experiences or rather to sell the data stream because the manufacturing price of this is still not getting it where they want to go. No matter how much cost they cut, they, they, they already they already that. did the data work of understanding their supply chain, of understanding right. variance in the supply chain of under right. They they've actually done a lot of that that work, but um, not with modern tools. It's on gut instinct. Correct. It's on risk aversion. It's on delivery times and things that they have. They've only now started really looking at all the data that they have been hoarding for years and years well, to and, start requalifying. Well, I mean, historically, this is the whole thing about just in time and um, just uh, in case. Uh, and yeah. ju well, just in time, just in case, but also even things like um, I'm thinking drum buffer robe, um, right? Mm -hmm. All you know these 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 optimization techniques are actually counter to big data analytics. They're actually often saying you 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 can over you can you can optimize the wrong things in your they're, in your process. They're, they're counter to the current state of how big data analytics is done. Right. That that is what the PrevOps matrix is all about. It is about applying lean manufacturing techniques into data and analytics. Wow. Right. That's sexy. But it and, is. And that's what I'm, that's what this week's blog post is about. Basically, is my title is "Unleashing AI with a Data Fabric Part Three: Lean, Agile, and Design Thinking." That's right. And well, be careful with the lean side, because there's a lot of people in and in some respects, I I may be one of them that say lean principles do one thing. Uh, industry four does something else and putting those two things together. Yeah. That's what's giving, very me, that's what's giving me heartburn. That's what's giving yeah. me heartburn about this, this article, because I, so I stepped in it when I started posting on GDPR back in 2018. And the reason why is because you have these data governance and data privacy professionals that are primarily with a legal backgrounds that went in and it took issue with the way that I was phrasing things, the terminology and the approaches. So it's not, it is not actually lean manufacturing. It is in alignment with the principles of lean manufacturing at a high level. Because we're, I will definitely get like a Joanne somewhere out there that'd be like, well, your definition sucks, Tyler. You're an idiot. Uh, no, I would never say that. No, but no, you other would. people would, but 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 to your point, it's it's like when I first heard industry four and all of the bump around it, after eight years I of being in the weeds, 
I came to the conclusion that lean digital actually makes more sense. And so I throw that out there as a frame of reference. But if you look at industry four, which is very different than smart manufacturing, for example. So is, is lean digital a term or did you just invent that? No, I invented it eight years ago. Okay. If you read the, if you read the GTA, you can quote me if you want. Um, if if you read the GTA AI, when Industry 4 first came out, everybody went, oh, you can't do this in cyber-physical systems and whatever, whatever. When I read it, I said, this is the smartest strategy I've ever read for optimizing cost because you're optimizing time. Yes. The whole thing is about I mean, optimizing time. I, I, so it was a bit prescient that we had John Willis on uh, recently, right? Uh, yeah. Where he, at least he admits that he shamelessly stole from the goal, right? But that's what <laughs> that, that's what the goal is all about, right? I, that's where I was trains, which is all about optimization, right? And it, it's not at all impossible to apply that to a digital realm, but no, there are all kinds of challenges to that approach most notably is the current status quo in the thinking of product management leadership at big tech and the way that yeah. they the way that they build their platforms and the way they control the data like 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 you were saying like an example of like okay we're going to lock down our apis well how is that going to help with optimizing flow when we're locking down apis with critical IT system components, right? It's it it it, it doesn't ha- when you're trying to monetize everything and control your customer, you limit interoperability. And Lean is all about standardization, modularity, and using those principles to optimize flow, which optimizes your cost. Right? I mean, at not being a manufacturing guy, that's about how I would paraphrase it, which is why I'll get into trouble when I do this blog post, but that's okay. If you want to, if you want a peer review, send me a copy before you publish. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, you know, to to the earlier discussion about who's going to disrupt UPS or, and the use of data. If I look at it three ways, and it's very simplistic and and oversimplistic, can you optimize time to data? Can you optimize time to decision? And can you optimize time to value? If you look at data from that lens, that's how you monetize it. And that's where they start to get the message that you can start taking these initiatives that come to mind, think ESG and and supply chain. And I've said this before, put the two together. It's not rocket science, no disrespect intended to anyone. But if you start looking at it from that perspective and say, well, can I optimize time to data? Well, gee, data fabric gets me there very quickly. Uh, time to decision. Well, if I have the data, I can make a decision faster, a more informed decision. I can optimize time to decision. And if I optimize those two things, I can optimize time to value. Yeah, but you're and- you're assuming that people, and now I'm bringing up Rob Hirschfield's predictable irrationality. You're assuming that businesses act in a rational way. It's insane. They don't. They're not even... 
remotely, which is why I'm I'm just so curious about that message that you could input about the, like especially in Trevor uh, Tyler's sorry you're not Trevor Tyler's situation where um so, so much of the work that you do make is time to decision time to value is very very fast when you've got a data fabric like privops but nobody's biting right like because they're thinking about other things and and, and so I just had I just had a bit of an epiphany Joanne you and I actually have something in common in our background. What's that? Well, we have many things that are in common, but one of them I hadn't really thought about until just now, which is that uh, my undergrad, (laughs) I was a double E. I got an electrical engineering degree and I was going to go work uh, building processors at Intel uh, when hiring froze in 1998. And I ended up at a little company called TRW Automotive. And I cut my teeth in engineering in a high-volume automotive environment, right? So now you love this, right? So this combination of skills, which is understanding a manufacturing environment, which implies understanding lean at least to a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. With the IT and the technical knowledge, and okay, now. How many practitioners in the data and analytics space have those two particular sets of experiences combined? I'm going to add it. We we need to wrap up because I I have to jump to another meeting. You guys should connect right now. What? (laughs) Yes, Tyler, we should. (laughs) Um, I'm going to add lean. I'm going to add lean data. uh, To the list of topics, because I really like this, this intersection of, uh, uh, lean and data. Thanks, you guys. I'll see you next week. You're welcome. No, no Have meeting for no, we're no meeting next week. I'm on vacation. Oh, see you in two weeks on the third. <laughs> Bye. Enjoy. Bye. Bye all. Bye everybody. Wow, I'm really excited about where we started going with this idea of data management and lean technology. Uh, That will be the subject of a future uh, discussion, one that you have the opportunity to be part of. You can join any of these conversations, and please do. Find out more information on our schedule at the2030.cloud. If you want, we have a book club running where we read interesting forward-looking technology books. uh, And these conversations are unique in the industry and would be added to by having your unique perspectives. Hope you see us soon and join us for the conversation. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.